Amen. You may be seated. Oh, please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We are just getting started in this glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 1. The last time I preached, we have learned about John the Baptist. I called him the baptizer. The Baptist, he was the one preparing the way for the, for the Lord, the one who fulfilled that prophecy of Isaiah, making his path straight. And now we come to where Jesus really comes on the scene. I mean, he's always been on the scene. We know he's been on the scene from Genesis. And here we, he comes as we read Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to read all the way through 13, though our sermon text will be um, 9 through 11. So I'll start with verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Amen. God's Holy Word. Well, as we have seen in the last passage, verses 1 through 8, and now we see here, Mark seems to be in a hurry. He's moving swiftly. He, he does not waste time in telling his gospel. And you'll notice he always gives us minimum detail, doesn't he? And he paints as he paints a very vivid picture for us using as little words as possible. You see, that's Mark's style. And we have to get it that this passage is all about Jesus. Jesus burst on the scene in a flash. Mark just recorded for us John the Baptist's prophecy that there was one, Jesus, coming after him who would be mightier than him, and who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. And boom! In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And in just these three verses alone, again, we see that it's all about Jesus. These three verses alone tell us how Jesus comes from Nazareth, how he goes into the waters of the Jordan to be baptized by John the Baptist, and how the Holy Spirit comes down upon him. And next time we'll get into it, he is driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And there's a lot that can be said about these couple of verses isn't there so much that we can be here for hours, really, 
pondering the implications of God's word for us. But we don't have that kind of time. However, we will point out the main points of this passage as we go along. So just bear with me and pay attention. Look in your bulletin. There's kind of some points as we go along today. As you see that each verse encompasses a main point in Mark's thinking. It encompasses Jesus' baptism, Jesus' anointing, and the Father's affirmation of Jesus. Now, before we continue to dig into these verses, you need to know something. And this is very important that you get. Jesus coming onto the scene here in chapter 1 is a momentous feat. And remember, is all about God's perfect timing. And so this was a very crucial, significant, and historic event. You know, the most crucial event to ever happen for all mankind. When Jesus comes on the scene, even though it was 400 years after God last spoke to mankind in Malachi, God's word of promise in the Old Testament from Genesis through Malachi was being fulfilled. And you know, the Lord's word did not return to him void. But what else did this signify? Christ is the one who ushered in the last days. What do you mean Christ brought in the last days? Well, Jesus brought in a new era, a new epoch called the last days. But aren't we still waiting for the dawn of the last days? No. The author to the Hebrews says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Peter, the man who Mark worked with, also says, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. If you haven't figured it out by now, we are not waiting for the last days. We are living in them now. The long-expected Jesus has come for you and for me and for all that would call on his name for salvation. When Jesus came, the people did not wait around for something else to happen sometime in the future. When Jesus came and was baptized by John, the people saw and heard what was going on. They knew it. Brothers and sisters, you and I need to stop sitting and waiting around, but live for Jesus now. You know, the other thing we get to right away is that this event is 100% gospel through and through for us. 
It's pure gospel. So we have to get that. Before we move any further this morning, you have to get that, that this event right here is gospel for you and for me. And it's what those people out there need to hear. Well, the rest of our time today, I will attempt to unpack this point for us, that it is gospel. Now, I, I know I just said that this passage is all about Jesus, and it is. And Jesus is the gospel. His arrival on this earth, his person, and his work is the gospel. It's good news. What did the Lord God himself say to the serpent back in Genesis 3.15? It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and you, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so now Jesus, the offspring, the seed of the woman, arrives on scene. Jesus is the gospel of God. He comes, and he comes from Galilee. He comes from Nazareth to get baptized. And the Spirit indwells him. And the Father vocally expresses his approval of him. Side note here, this is the Trinity. This is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all here on the scene It's a truly marvelous picture, isn't it? Well, first off, from this passage, we see that Jesus enters into the wilderness to get baptized. Right off in verse 9, we see Jesus coming down as of Nazareth, a place to the north which experienced much hostility with the people surrounding Jerusalem and Judea and the area surrounding the Jordan River to the south and he comes into the wilderness to be baptized by John in the Jordan River I hope you get what he is doing here he's going into a hostile place he was coming from a hostile place he's going to a hostile place the wilderness to John and then he submits to baptism and in the Old Testament in Numbers 8 the Levites the priests of the Lord would be ceremonially cleansed at the commencement of their ministry. And as Jesus comes on the scene, as he begins his ministry, that's what he does. But there's more going on. There's more going on. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3 used the word baptism to describe the enemies of God's people being destroyed due to being drowned by the water. And those called by God, at the same time, being saved from that disaster. And Jesus enters into the water. This indicates that he was to come to save his people. And in him, your punishment has been destroyed. But there's more. And this is where I really want you to focus. You really have to get this. Because again, this is gospel. Well, 
well, pastor, why do I need to get this? What, what's so important for me? Well, we are sinners. Our lives are messy. Our lives are like cesspools, dirty, stinky, filthy, infested, rotten. Paul says in Romans 7, wretched man that I am. Wretched. What a wretched sinner I am. And this is the Apostle Paul saying this. And you know, our greatest works, the best that we can give, Isaiah says, are like dirty rags. Well, we read last time that the John the baptizer came baptizing, albeit an incomplete but essential and important baptism, and he came preaching the baptism of repentance. And Jesus was sinless, and he was unable to sin, yet he steps down into the waters and he identifies with us. At the commencement of his ministry, that's what Jesus does. He identifies with us our dirty, rotten lives. He steps down into the dirtiness of humanity. And as John pours water over Jesus' head, Jesus is saying, I take all that dirty, filthy, rotten mess on my shoulders. Jesus Christ took our vileness of sin and the shame and the, hum and the humility on his shoulders. 2 Corinthians 5.21, if, if you haven't memorized this verse, you need to memorize it. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that great exchange happens, doesn't it? Right at that moment. As, as the water is being poured over Jesus' head, he's taken all of our garbage and junk, and we're receiving his righteousness. That's good news. That's gospel. That's called for you theology nuts out there. That's called vicarious substitutionary atonement. Jesus takes it all on his shoulders and we take his righteousness. And if you are trusting in Jesus Christ today, that means he did that for you. Free. No charge to you. And what's more, he does that in full and complete obedience to the Father's will. In theological language, we distinguish between the active and the passive obedience of Christ. Now, the passive obedience of Christ is not that he did not do anything in obeying. Rather, that word means passion, as in the passion of Christ. All that happened on the cross and the events leading up to the cross. He suffered, he bled, and he died for us. But his whole life, and as we see here in the commencement of his earthly ministry, when he's baptized in the Jordan, he actively obeyed on our behalf as well. 
Jesus, who was not a sinner, who never sinned in his life, actively obeyed and submitted himself to John's baptism of repentance for us. You need to let that sink in this morning. If you are a Christian, you need to keep preaching this to yourself. If you're not a Christian, I pray that the Holy Spirit opens up your ears so that you can hear this marvelous truth this morning. But what you hear is of no benefit to you unless you submit to God and Christ. You have to submit to Jesus. The next thing we see is that right away when Jesus comes out of the water, he sees the heavens torn open and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. Jesus Christ is being anointed by the Holy Spirit here. When a man of God was called by God into his service, the Holy Spirit would come upon him and would indwell him. The Holy Spirit would give him the unction, uh, the strength that he needed to perform the task that he was called by God to do. For example, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon the judges in the book of Judges. Judges 3 says that the Spirit of the Lord was upon Othniel, and he judged Israel. Judges 14.19 regarding Samson says this, And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil. And the same is with the prophets. And Ezekiel 2, when the prophet Ezekiel was called, it says that the Spirit entered into Ezekiel and set him on his feet. What's more, the minor prophet Micah said in Micah 3.8, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. And then what did Isaiah prophesy in Isaiah 61 of Jesus? The spirit of the sovereign God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. (laughs) And now here, It is fulfilled. The Spirit of God descends upon Jesus in order to enable and to strengthen him to perform his office of prophet, his office of speaking to us by his word and his spirit, the word and the spirit joining together in the person of Jesus. He also enables him to fulfill the office of priest, interceding for us, and at the end of his life, becoming the perfect sacrifice once for all. And king, the office of king, ruling over us and protecting us from all his and our enemies. The text says that as he came out of the water, the heavens were being torn open. The only other place in Mark's gospel where this word schism appears as in 1538 when Jesus died on the cross. 
It says that the veil of the temple was torn asunder. Imagine what he saw. Some people try to illustrate that by taking a piece of paper and ripping it in half. Or imagine going to a play or a concert at the Hollywood Bowl or the Pantages Theater or something and someone takes a large machete or something and jumps out of nowhere and, and, and rips that entire curtain in two. But come on. Th- this really does pale immensely, doesn't it? To what it was like. You know, our minds are so limited as to what it might have looked like. Maybe the clouds were ripped in half. In Isaiah 64, 700 years prior, Isaiah prays, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. The heavens ripped in two, torn in half, and the mountains quake as Jesus appears on the scene. And what happens? God in the flesh answers that God-given desire. And God in the Spirit comes down on Jesus like a dove. Luke 4, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 again as he is teaching with authority in the synagogue. And again, I mention this for emphasis. So I want you to listen again to what what this section in Isaiah 61 says. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, speaking of Jesus, remember, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. There are so many that are brokenhearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Just think about what that means. Think about it. Think about that, what that means for you and for me and for all who would call upon Jesus for salvation. It's gospel. This is good news. This is the best news that anybody has ever heard. It's the best news that anyone will ever hear in all of history. And the Spirit descends upon him like a dove, like a little white bird fluttering to and fro. The imagery here is almost certainly echoing Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It says, In the beginning God created heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And then pay attention. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters like a dove. Then the triune God begins his work of creation out of nothing. The Spirit comes down on Jesus, anointing him for his ministry, but he also consecrates him. He sets him apart for his threefold office. And the same Spirit which indwells Jesus indwells every one of you who believes in him. Every one of you who is united to Christ in your justification. Brothers and sisters, guess what? You don't have to ask the Spirit to come 
and dwell in you as some would have you to believe. You don't need a second subsequent baptism, so-called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Lord gives his gifts as he has a portion according to his will, according to his initiation. Brothers and sisters in the Lord, you have the same spirit by virtue of being co-heirs with Jesus. And he enables you to live the life that he has called you to live. And he appropriates the redemption accomplished for you by Jesus Christ. We move on to our third point. Jesus hears the voice of the Heavenly Father affirming him of his love and sonship. There's another place in Mark where the voice of the Father comes down and people hear it and it affirms Jesus. In Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration. Well, in verse 10 of our passage, we see Jesus' consecration for ministry and now we see his affirmation as the beloved Son of God. The Father says, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. What a precious sound for the Son to hear. That is all that he needed to hear him say. It affirmed God the Son's identity, God's only beloved Son. And everyone around heard it loud and clear. And I pray that you would listen and pay attention. Jesus is God, the Father's beloved Son, and God is happy with him. Psalm 2 speaks of the Son whom God would give the nations as his inheritance. He says, you are my, my Son, today I have begotten you. Not that Jesus becomes God's son at that moment. That would be a heresy called adoptionism, saying that Jesus once was God's, not God's son, but sometime along the way becomes God's son as through some kind of an adoption. But we know that before the creation, Jesus was already there. So what he is saying is that God was pleased with the son, that God that the Son would come to the earth and that he would be crowned king to rule the nations. As in our passage, Mark 1.11, Psalm 2 is echoed, showing God the Father's complete affirmation of God the Son. In Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 42, which is again written hundreds of years prior to Jesus' our incarnation and his baptism, listen to what he says. He says, Behold my servant, whom I uphold my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a fainty burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till 
he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Again, Jesus is God's servant. That is the theme of Mark. And you'll see that again and again as we read and we hear servants preach through Mark. Jesus is God's servant. And his soul delights in him. In whom he is well pleased. From here again, we see a direct prophecy of the servant king. It brings God, the father, joy. Jesus brings joy to his father. He says that there, he says there that he is God's elect. He embodies true Israel so that all that would be united to him would, because of our association with him, also be called, as Paul says, the Israel of God, God's chosen elect people whom he loves and is also well-pleased. You have to see the importance of this declaration for you who believe and trust in Christ. Again, it's gospel. God is pleased with Jesus and he calls him his beloved. And God calls a people for himself. And he places his seal, the Holy Spirit, on that people. And he says, people of God, I love you. I am pleased with you. Because, only because, of my son, Jesus Christ. I hope that if you're struggling today, that God's word today will, in fact, encourage you. If you are feeling useless or hopeless or worthless, God wants you to know, daughter of God, that you are beloved of the Father. God loves you. Keep looking to Christ. Now, as we have read these verses, I'm not sure if this stood out to you at all. I mentioned it in the beginning. These verses are some of the most openly Trinitarian verses we read in the Bible. When someone questions the Trinity, you can bring them to Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, and bang, the Trinity is right there before your eyes. And if there is no Trinity, there is no gospel. So we see Jesus appear on the scene and get baptized by John to identify with us fallen, sinful creatures. And when, and right when John dumps the last bit of water over his head, the Holy Spirit descends as the heavens are torn in two and fills and empowers Jesus for his prophetic, priestly, and kingly task. And the heavenly Father speaks words of affirmation and love to the Son. And that's gospel. And that is good news for the world. Remember, John was baptizing thousands of people. And thousands of people were confessing their sins and repenting. Even though it was an incomplete baptism, people knew that the one mightier than John was coming. And here he is. And the people are still all lining up. The people are still all gathering around. And these events happen right before their eyes. 
And the people also see Jesus, the one from Nazareth, getting baptized. And the people see the dove. And they hear the audible voice from heaven. I wonder what you would have felt if you were one of those down at the Jordan River that day. Finally, finally, the Savior has come. And friends, the Savior has not left. The servant king continues to serve us and rule over us from the right hand of God the Father. And you know, we know, we are convinced because Scripture tells us that one day Jesus Christ is going to come again for us, for all of us who are united to him through faith because of his grace. We praise him for his marvelous grace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the joy that we get reading your word and we thank you for the glorious promises that you have given us in your word. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who promises that he would never leave us nor forsake us And we know that he is right there with us now by the Holy Spirit. Our God, help us to look to Jesus, not only when things are going bad or when we feel distressed or distraught, but also in times of joy. Lord, we pray that you would impress on the hearts of those who don't know you this morning the importance of the gospel and that they may come to a true and saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray all of this in his name. Amen.